And I said, I don't think you understand. I'm hungry. I've been in solitary confinement for two and a half months. I'm eating my tray. And if you want to take me out, you want to kill me, that's all right. I know where I'm going when I die. Do you? <laughs> oh, my God. You got to live it. You got to love it. Testimony goes on and on and on. It's magnetic. It's prophetic. It's got stories being told. Welcome back to the Jesus Magnet Podcast. I'm your host, Joel a Kiwi from New Zealand, and today we have John with us. How are you doing, John? Outstanding. It's good to be here with you, Joel. Oh, it's so good to have you on the show. We um, met you over in Thailand when we were there earlier this year, and i um, just very happy to be able to connect with you again. And we got a little bit of your story while we were with you for a few days but um, now's the time to go a little bit deeper because we are both on the same page with our testimonies from darkness to light, how God's pulled us out of that uh, hole that we were in is such a wonderful, magical story that brings hope to the hopeless. And it brings yeah. like it just brings that um, that light into some really dark places that some people have been living for years and years and years, and that's why we share our stories. That's why we're here uh, singing the praises of God every day and what he's done in our lives. And that's the best part. It's the evidence of God. This was where I was, and this is where I am now, through no strength of my own, through God's grace alone. So I'm very happy to have you, John, on the podcast. So um, we're going to start with, uh, I would actually, I would love to get into your ministry a little bit later on as well and um, see what God's been sure. doing with you and, and through you. But let's start with sort of John as the person. John, why have you decided to follow Christ? What was, was there a moment in your life? Did you grow up in a Christian family? What's the background of your um, testimony to start with? Yeah, thank you, Joel. Um, before I get into my testimony, I'd, I'd like to take a liberty of just highlighting Revelation 19, verse 10, which in part says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The only reason why I share my testimony is so that I can brag about Jesus, brag about what he's done and who he is. And because that, when we do that, when we brag about Jesus, it releases the spirit of prophecy. Mm. Because when people hear a testimony of hope, when people hear a testimony of redemption, then and it resonates in their heart and they think, you know, can can he do that for me? Mm. Can can Jesus, would he do that for me? And the answer is a resounding yes. Yeah. Yes. Not only can <laughs> he, but he wants to because he's the same yesterday, today and forever. Mm. And Jesus's heart, his heart is for people to be reconciled to him in meaningful relationship, to be made whole by grace through faith in Jesus. Mm. And when we brag about Jesus and how he's helped us to overcome challenges and issues in our lives, whether whether they're horribly grotesque, you mm. know, or whether they're just white collar, so to speak, you mm. know what I mean? Mundane. The testimony of Jesus is the power. The gospel is mm. the power of God that everyone who believes in him gets saved by. Yeah. And that, that saved is to be made whole, mm. to be set free, to be delivered in, in body, mind, spirit, 
and to be born again into the newness of life in Christ. So when I'm going to share my testimony and it's pretty, it's pretty dramatic and, and I'm going to be raw. I'm going to be transparent. I'll answer any questions that you have for, for amplifying information, take chop down, you know, you want to know more about a certain thing. If I just drive by it too fast, I'll come back and I'll drill down as deep as you want to go. But when I do that, I want it to be perfectly clear to the hearer that my testimony is no more glorious than yours. My testimony is it takes just as much grace to deliver somebody as decadent and wicked and lost as I was, as it does to to save a missionary kid who's sixth generation following Christ. It takes the same amount of grace. It takes the same amount of blood of Jesus. And so the hope and the only reason why I'm sharing my testimony and what compels me to do that is because I believe that somebody's going to hear something that my testimony resonates with mm. the deliverance, the, the, the power, the confidence, the intimacy that God's given me as a result of grace through faith in Jesus, mm. that is available to everyone, no matter who they are, no matter where they are, no matter what they've done, no matter what's been done to them. Mm. Jesus is the answer. And he wants to set us all free and make us whole again in heart, in mind, in spirit. And so, yeah, now to answer your question, I hope you don't mind me drilling that down. But I want people to know that the only reason I'm sharing this is because I want Jesus to get lifted up. And I want the hearer to recognize that anything that that I declare as having God having done in my life is available to you too, mm. by grace through faith. You can grab hold of it like a rope of hope, man. Amen. So when you hear the testimony of Jesus, you grab hold of that rope of hope and you allow him to draw you in to the healing, powerful, loving, graceful presence of the God that created you mm. for meaningful relationship with him. So you good. have a purpose and that purpose is found in Jesus Christ. So, yeah, there was a profound moment, Joel, when when I began to recognize all these things. And it was in a solitary confinement cell at the age of 27. I was facing the rest of my life in prison. And uh, and I decided to to take my own life. It was <clears throat> it was dark. It was about 1030 at night. And uh, I had a fistful of psychotropic drugs that I'd gotten from the trustees one at a time sliding under the door when they delivered my food. And uh, if if you have money, you can get just about anything in jail and prison. And uh, and that's true in every country of the world, unfortunately. So I had a fistful of drugs and I had a razor blade and it was it was dark. I was sitting looking at the wall and I said, you know, I could be talking to this wall for all I know. But I've been reading this book. I had a Bible in my cell and this book says that you love me and all I got to do is ask and you'll save me. So I'm asking. And, you know, nothing happened. There was no angel appeared. There was no bright light. There was no earthquake. The door didn't fly open. There was no wind. I didn't even have a warm, fuzzy feeling, man. It was, but I decided to kill myself tomorrow. And uh, and I wrestled with God. The next day I wrestled with God and I, I'd already read the whole Bible. I mean, I was in solitary confinement for two and a half months. I didn't have a whole lot to do. <laughs> so I, I read time. the Bible cover yeah. to cover and probably more than once already. And and I came across this verse in 1 John chapter 5 that says, I've written these things to you who believe in Jesus so that you can know that you have eternal life. Mm. It doesn't say that so that you can pray for eternal life, so that you can hope for eternal life, so that you can think you do. All right, it says, I've written these to believe in Jesus so that they can know that they have eternal life. And I said, okay, well, God, if you're real mm. and you wrote this, 
it says that you wrote it so that I could know. So you got to let me know because I'm sick and I'm sick and tired of living a lie. I've been living a lie my whole life, man. I had a face for every occasion and every relationship, man. So much to the extent where I lost, I lost track of who I really was. I was like a chameleon blending into whatever environment I was in and doing whatever I needed to do in order to get mine, so to speak. Mm. And I was sick of that. I was sick of being plastic. I was sick of being fake. I was sick of, of anything. I just wanted authenticity. I wanted, I wanted real. And so I said, God, if, if you're real, this says you wrote it so that I could know. You got to let me know. Otherwise, you're a liar. Mm. And, and this isn't true. And I want nothing to do with it or you. Yeah. And so every day. I mean, that was my, that was my journey. Well, I, another, I was about a month and a half in solitary confinement when that moment happened. And then I wrestled with God every day for another month. And the, the chaplain, uh, said I'd, I'd written multiple requests for, for more books, you know, <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> and they, the chaplain's office sent me, you know, Josh McDowell's more than a carpenter and sent me, mm. um, uh, uh, the face of my father and, and a number of other books. And I, I was reading those and wrestling through the whole thing. And, and the chaplain ended up getting me out of solitary confinement after two and a half months and put in general population. And one day, about a week after I was in general population, I was still going day to day. And um, I was, but I was sharing with somebody something that I had been reading in the Bible. And the guy looked at me and said, man, how do you even know any of this is real? And the Lord touched me and I knew that I knew that I knew that God was real. He was holy. Yeah. He was righteous. He was just, he was, he was amazing. And it scared the hell out of me. Mm. Literally. I, I told the guy, I said, I don't know how I know, but I know, thank God. I know I turned around and went to my cell and I got down on my face and I said, God, I, because the, the fear of God and the love of God, the goodness of God and the fear of God it's like in Thailand, the food is is like sweet and sour <laughs> and, and spicy. It's like, how do you do that? How do you make a food, yeah. you know, spicy and sweet yeah. and sour all at the same time? You know, <laughs> come to Thailand, you'll find out, you know, because it's amazing how they put these flavors together. Yeah. Well, that's like God's character. God's character has these multifaceted elements that are put together in this amazing way. So I was, yeah. I was overwhelmed by his goodness overwhelmed by his awesomeness the fear of god just mm. gripped my guts and and it scared the hell out of me mm. and uh meaning i mean i i ran from hell into into god's arms and i said god i don't understand why you would want a guy like me i'm a mess man i hate myself i hate everything about me i hate everything about my life i can't imagine why you would want a guy like me but if you'll take me i'm all yours wow and he wrapped his arms around me, man. He wrapped his arms around me and he said, I want you. I want all of you. That's so and good. And that trans, yeah. 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 So that was the defining moment yeah. where I, I met God and and he, I was born again. Mm. I was given a new life and, and the entire trajectory of my life changed at that point. Yeah. Well, John, I've got to ask, um, what ended up landing you in, in prison and that position of uh you know having been in prison in solitary confinement for one you've got to be a danger to others uh to be put in solitary confinement so yeah what what's the backstory behind all that if you don't mind me prying into into that (laughs) yeah sure no problem um the, the the short story is that i was a uh 
I was addicted to a lot of things. And one of the things that I was addicted to was adrenaline. And my addiction to, because adrenaline was the closest thing that made me feel alive. You know what I mean? Um, you can have, you can have a sexual encounter that lasts for a moment, you know, and, and you get some sensory feeling of, of live, you know, from that, um, you can, you can take drugs, um, and for a moment, you know, you, you can feel something other than the, the mundane yuck that had just permeated my life. Mm. I was looking for anything and everything that could make me feel something. Mm. and adrenaline was one of my go-tos. So I did a lot of stupid things before, you know, before it was cool, so to speak. <laughs> you know, they got, they got people just doing all kinds of stupid stuff on YouTube, and, and uh, I was doing it before YouTube, but <laughs> so there was no cell phone recording me. Anyway, so one of the, one of the things that, uh, that I did was stupid. We, we just thought, me and my, my partner thought it'd be fun to take the cash box out of an ATM, mm. and... Um, and so early in the morning on the way to work, I was, I was an air traffic controller and, um, which is, uh, um, I was, isn't that one of the most stressful jobs in the world? <laughs> yeah. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother line of questioning. <laughs> Jot that down. I've got stories about that. Yes. Um, air traffic control is a very stressful job and, uh, but it fed, it fed my adrenaline addiction as well. And uh, I should not have been an air traffic controller. I should not have passed the psyche valve, man, to to get into air traffic control because I was dangerous. Um, I never, I never, they never scraped paint. Everybody got home, you know, um, so that's fortunate. But I was just not the right material. Anyway, um, on our way to work, I was the facility watch supervisor of the airfield and my tower supervisor um, and I, on the way to work, left a couple hours early and, and uh, met up to take the cash box out of this ATM. And cleaning crew came in at 4 a.m. and, and uh, witnessed him walking out with the cash box. Mm. And so even though we dumped everything and uh, we were in the wrong place at the wrong time and they identified my partner and they arrested us, put us in jail. We bailed out the next day, um, which was no big deal, but we knew our careers were over no matter what disposition the case took you know no matter how whether we were adjudicated guilty or not um we were we were in the newspaper and it was just it was bad bad stuff and we knew that that there was going to be fallout uh, that would ruin our careers so i i began um devising a plan that we could retire from and uh so i planned a heist I was another one of my addictions was gambling and uh so i had a vip card for the gambling ship that cruised out of Key West is where I was. This is in 1998, um, January and March of 1998 is when all this happened. Um, sailing out of uh, Key West into international waters and gambling. And I figured there'd be a million and a half, $2 million back then take. And so I began devising a, a plan to take over the ship. So a heist. And I enlisted the services of a, uh, of a guy who had a skill set that we needed to do what we wanted to do. And I did not know that he was under indictment for some things. And he went to the, to the state's attorney and offered us up on a silver platter for leniency on his case. So he became a confidential informant just for us and uh, wore a wire on us for three weeks and gathered a ton of, of condemning Intel. And so the night before well, the, the night we were going to roll over a drug dealer to take his guns and money to mm. affect the heist of the ship, um, 
the we opened up the door and boom, there were there were police officers there and arrested us. And now we went from grand theft and breaking and entering of petty crimes that were associated with the the robbing of an ATM to conspiracy to commit all sorts of stuff. And at the end of the day, when when you looked at all the charges that were coming up against us, we were we were facing the rest of our life in prison. Wow. So <clears throat> yeah, that's what led up to it. Far out. Or at least that's what my charges were about. What about the solitary confinement? Because you've got to be a danger to others to to be in there. So were you just like an angry person before Christ? Well, I think that, uh, well, I certainly was. Um, But in reality, I think the reason why they put me in solitary and put my partner in general population was because they wanted to separate us. And, uh, you know, they, they were doing good cop, bad cop, you know, roll over on your, on your partner and we'll make it easier for you. Mm. Because even though they had conspiratorial evidence that was very, very heavy, there were a lot of holes in their, in their case for the more serious stuff. And um, so they wanted to, they wanted us to nail each other mm. um, so that they could get convictions for the heavy stuff. You know, Cause we were, we were convicted of conspiracy to commit murder, conspiracy to commit um, all this stuff, you know, and, Anyway, <clears throat> I think that's the, the reason why they separated us, me in solitary and him and general pop simply so that they could. And we never rolled over on each other because honestly, it's not it's not because of honor among thieves. We were we both knew the character of the other mm. and um, and we were we knew the consequences of rolling over on the other person. Wow. And wow. so we, we kept our mouth shut and. Um, yeah, but then the crazy thing happened. We I got born again, and then uh, and then my partner got born again. I was just going to say, and, how much of an effect did that happen have on your your partner or all your prison new prison uh, mates? <laughs> oh man, it was amazing. You know, let me let me share you this story about the the first fifteen minutes that I was in general population. I get out of solitary and you roll up, you have two uniforms, one so that you can go to wash while you're wearing the other. So you have two shirts, two pants, two underwears, two pairs of socks, two, sure. et cetera. Yeah. So you roll up your stuff and, um, and you, you march down the hall in secure section of the, of the place. And then they took me into general population and it was feeding time. Mm. It was lunchtime and all the, the, quads or blocks they get fed inside the block they don't go to a you know chow hall or cafeteria they get fed inside the block and the the trustees will carry in big carts on wheels and there are slots in these carts that have trays in them and so they'll wheel in these big carts with with trays of food and then the inmates will all line up and they'll they'll get their tray and go sit down at a foretop there's a there's a round stainless steel table that's bolted um, to the floor and then the seats are welded in, uh, you know, so they, they can't be picked up and moved or anything. So it's a four top round tables that are littered around the common area in the center of the cell block. And if I recall correctly, there's, there's about 50 guys in the, in each block. Um, There's two, two tiers, 12 cells, 20, yeah, about 50 guys right, mm-hmm. in each block. So I walk in and the correctional officer says, hey, go drop your roll in cell 12 and get a tray. So I drop my roll in cell 12. I get in line. And I'm the last guy in line behind Crunch, who's the block boss. 
and crunch is my height. He's exactly six foot tall. And, um, but he's got at least 50 pounds of muscle more than I do. And at least 50 pounds, man. And, um, anyway, so I'm behind crunch and crunch turns around and he, and he looks at me and he says, Hey boy, you're giving me your tray today. Now, what I didn't understand at this point was that crunch would make, he was last in line for a reason. He was the black block boss and the trustees made sure that they brought an extra tray so that he'd get two trays because he was a big boy with a big appetite and they feed you minimally, you know? Mm. And so he's like the last one in line. So he gets two, he gets the last two trays and the trustees make sure there's an extra tray for crunch or there are consequences. Right. So now here comes along this guy from solitary confinement all right. And I'm, I'm last in line. I'm going to take his extra tray. And that did not sit oh, well with, with crunch. So when he turned around, he says, Hey boy, you're giving me your tray today. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm hungry, man. I'm eating my tray. And he stepped up on me chest to chest, nose to nose, literally touching his tip of his nose, touching the tip of my nose. And he's, and he grits his teeth and he says, speaking through his teeth, I don't think you understand. It takes a lot of food to feed this body. And he bounced his pecs on me, you know. He said, you're giving me your tray today. Oh, my god! And I stepped back like like two inches, you know, just so that I could see him, you know, cross-eyed because he was so close <laughs> face to face. And I stepped back like two inches and I said, I don't think you understand. I'm hungry. I've been in solitary confinement for two and a half months. I'm eating my tray. And if you want to take me out, you want to kill me, that's all right. I know where I'm going when I die. Do you? <laughs> Oh my gosh. And now mind you, I did not have, I was still wrestling with God every day, you know, for looking for that assurance, you know, yeah. but it, that it, there was like a five second seemed like an eternity while crunch was just eye glaring at me, you know? And then he just, he starts laughing and he backs up, slaps me on the shoulder. He says, I like you. You're crazy. You're sitting with me. So we get our trays and we sit down He's got his own four top, right? Yeah. So we sit and, and he sits alone. You know, nobody sits with him unless they're invited. And he invited me to sit across from him and he's taking food off everybody else's trays. Like, hey, yo, you don't need this. My boy, my wolf man, he's been in the jail. He's been in jail. They call they call solitary jail. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, of course. He's been in jail for two and a half months, man. He's hungry. And he's piling up food. He's taking food from everybody oh, else around gosh. us and piling up my tray so it was overflowing, you know. And I'm like, it's all right, crunch. It's good. I'm good, man. I'm good. And so anyway, Crunch and I became friends and Crunch ended up getting saved. And now my <sighs> my partner was in another block, right? He wasn't in my block initially. Mm. And but after a couple of months, God was doing work in his heart as well and he got born again in a in a different block and then the chaplain again because the the chaplain was instrumental in all of this cuz she was she was just a she was a loving spirit-filled, God-fearing woman, you know? Mm. And um, anyway, Chaplain Judy Remley is just an amazing woman of God. And she she arranged um, through back channels to have me and my partner in the same cell and uh, or in the same block, and which was extraordinary, unheard of. Mm. And um, <clears throat> in any event, and then, then the three of us, me and my, my partner and, and Crunch, were like the, the three musketeers. <laughs> and it was hilarious because now we're we're all saved, we're all born again. Now Crunch Crunch was a crazy, dangerous guy. All right, he was he made me look like a Sunday school kid, man. And Crunch Crunch would grab people, 
these jits, we call them jits, jitterbugs, because they're they're shaking, they're scared, you know, when they get in jail for the first time. And he'll grab these guys when they come in and he'll he'd toss them into my cell. He'd grab them by the back of the shirt, you know, and toss them into my cell and say, yo, Wolfman, this jit needs Jesus. <laughs> and I'd, and I'd, I'd witness to him, man, and we'd, everybody gets saved. But seriously, though, wow. the, 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 a revival broke out. We started praying like five minutes before lockdown. Lockdown at night was like 10 o'clock. Mm. And we'd start praying five minutes before lockdown. And it started off with, with me, Crunch, and my, my partner. And then more people would join us and more people would join us. So it started 10 minutes before lockdown to 15 minutes before lockdown. It ended up to where we were praying for 30 minutes before lockdown with with most of the block. You're 30 joking. guys, 30, 35 guys, man, out of 50 would be circled up praying for a half hour before, before <laughs> yes. lockdown tonight. And um, so good. I remember one time it was so extraordinary because Crunch, Crunch was Aryan Brotherhood. He was a... Um, a uh, very, very super, white supremacist, um, one percenter as they, as they call him. Sure. And, and he, he hated everybody who wasn't white, Anglo Saxon, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and one day we were talking when it came time for prayer and normally crunch would join the prayer group. Like after everybody was there, you know, he was like one of the last ones to join and he'd pick two white guys to stand between because we all held hands praying. Right. Yeah. And um, and he'd be in the same circle, but he wouldn't he wouldn't hold the hand of a black man because of his prejudice, deep rooted mm. uh, prejudice. And one day, Crunch and I were were talking, and we lost track of time, and it, it came to be prayer time, and everybody started to gather. And this black man came up and stood beside Crunch and reached out his hand to Crunch to hold to to pray with him. And I was look I looked at Crunch, and Crunch was looking at the black guy's hand. <laughs> And I was praying. I was going, oh, Come Jesus, on. please, please, Jesus, Jesus, please, please. And Crunch reached out and took that black man's hand and held it. And we prayed together. And I just, I saw in my spirit, I saw strongholds break down. I saw, I mean, it was just an amazing thing. And that that revival ended up, I mean, tons and tons of people got born again in that cell block. And three and a half years later, I'm skipping a whole lot of the story, but three and a half years later, I went back to that cell block. I'm a free guy today with no, but. Yeah, my story is all over the place, crazy. <laughs> Let's go. Let's now, go. Now, Keep going. I gotta, I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm here talking to you as a missionary, all right, as a as a cross cultural worker on an international level, seeing God do, do incredible things all over the world, and I've got a clean record. My FBI report is wiped. Um, what I'm telling you right now. Uh, you can't find a record of it, all right, because it's it's sealed, it's expunged. Yeah, and uh, that's twenty twenty four years after the fact when that happened, just about a year ago. Um, but at any event, when when I uh, went back and visited that that block three and a half years later, the chaplain brought me in and to speak, and there were there was still revival going on in that block three wow. and a half years later. Come and on, so yeah, God, God did some pretty cool stuff in that in that block. Far out. That's that's like that's surreal. They need to like put a little bit of a movie uh, behind that or something. That is just so awesome to see almost the ignition of you know revival fire sort of spreading through the cell blocks and and breaking down those strongholds like Crunch had. You know, with um, what was it? He he white supremacy was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah he and, was a hardcore white supremacist. Yep. Yeah, just to break even those down because that that can be really hard to to change somebody's 
heart on how that they were raised and, and things like that. It, it really takes an outworking of the Holy Spirit to break some of those strongholds. Well, that's, ex- that's exactly right. I mean, that, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a testimony of Jesus. It's what, mm. it's what God does when the love of God is received. Mm. And we love him because he first loved us. Yeah. And as we receive the love of God and we recognize how pure it is and how how deep it is, how wide it is, how mm. all-inclusive it is, how accepting it is, we did, the love of God changes us. And we recognize that God loves people. I mean, humanity, there's one race. I hate these... These, I, I always put down white because I know that's what they want when you fill out, you know, your passport application mm. or whatever, you know, your visa. And you, they want to know what your race is. And it says race. I wish there was a human on there because yeah. that's I'm a human, man. Mm. That's what we all are. We're all humans. Yeah. And um, what does it matter what ethnicity we are or what skin color we are or what yeah. dialect we speak? I mean, these are these are categories that can too often polarize us and divide us. And that's mm. what sin sin divides. Love, love draws together and unifies. Yeah. And so all these 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 racial tensions and prejudices that are very relevant and prevalent in our nation mm. and world today. Um, the love of God is the antidote for that. Because yeah. when we recognize that we're all made male and female, all right, no matter what color, no matter what ethnicity, no matter what generation, no matter what education, no matter what social strata or structure or status you're in, we are all made in God's image and likeness to mm. reflect him and to be in meaningful relationship with him. And so, yeah, racism is something that, that the Holy Spirit definitely, definitely overcomes. So do you hear um, God's voice? Like, is that something that you experienced when you were in prison? Or is that something that you've developed since you've uh, left and gone into the missionary world? That's a great question, Joel. Um, the When I first got born again, I heard God, God's voice all the time. Now, when I say hear God's voice, I don't mean audibly. Like I hear you right now speaking to me. Mm. It's a different kind of hearing. It's a, it's a knowing. That's what, that's the best way that I can describe it. It's a, it's a, a knowing when God mm. speaks to you or when he speaks to me, it's like a thought comes into my knower mm. that didn't originate for me. And I know it didn't originate from me because it's not a thought that I would generally have on my own. Um, so um, yeah, the Lord, and it's amazing when I first got born again, most of the times the Lord spoke to me, it was asking me probing questions mm. about my motives or about my, where my security was, where my hope was, where that wound came from, why, why I'm angry, you know, what it, it, it's very probing questions. And every time he'd ask me a question, he, he's the best interviewer around, man. I mean, he, he asks you a, a question, a leading question that brings us to a point of discovering something that he wants to heal, mm. something that he wants to to remove, yeah, something that he wants to add to. It's a transformative encounter with God where he's fathering us and, and cleansing us, refining us into the, the person that he wants us to be to represent him mm. properly. So yeah, the Lord spoke to me straight up right away from day one in that time when I had the, the on, on my face encounter, given the Lord, everything 
he began speaking to me and he spoke to me multiple times every day, challenging me in love to, to, to where I was thinking differently than what he wanted me to think, where I was mm. acting differently, behaving differently than he wanted me to behave. Mm. Um, I was settling for less than what he desired for me. Um, but it has refined too. So in part, your, your question is certainly God speaks, speaks now, you know, 25 years later. Um, he's speaking about some of the same things that he's been working on me for, mm. for 25 years. He's so patient and good, you know, um, he's still cleaning the house and I'm still growing. I'm still maturing. And uh, that's what's so exciting about being a follower of Jesus is every day I get to experience a fathering guidance, a an empowering guidance of, of Holy Spirit leading me and guiding me in me, on me and with me. Mm for the world, for my family, for, oh, for just awesome things that he has in store for, for me that I have yet to discover. Mm. What's quite cool is when you're talking about how you had this encounter with Christ that um, uh, I, I can imagine and I've heard a few stories before where people are in prison or they're facing prison time and um, they're kind of trying to make a, a deal with God. You know, Lord, <laughs> this is the lowest I'm going to be. If you just get me out of here, I will serve you for the rest of my life. What I like about what what's happened with you, John, is you just found God in prison and went, I will serve you even in here, even in, in prison. I'm not going to make a deal with you. I, I am yours. Like, I you know, find, it's funny. Yeah, yeah, Joel. It's funny that you should say that because um, <clears throat> I was I ran out of money because then charges kept coming. Man, they they collected a bunch of evidence from my computer. They they sent it to a, a a place that just dissected my hard drive and pulled out stuff. And more charges were coming, man. And I ran out of money for for my private attorney. And so they were they were assigning me a public defender for for some of the, these new charges that were coming and the public defender was i thought was doing a terrible job in representing me so i started going to the law library in the in the jail they have a they have a law library for people to to study um case law and it's like updated it's it, it was amazing wow and um so i was actually writing pro se motions is what it's called when you represent yourself and I was writing motions and citing case law in trying to to do my own defense on some of these charges that I did I didn't feel the public defender was properly representing me with. And on the way back to the block from the law library one day, um, the Lord spoke to me and He said, "Who are you trusting in?" And I it just it cut through to my heart, and I was like, "Oh God, okay, I'm guilty. I know I'm guilty." I deserve to be here. I deserve to spend the rest of my life in prison. And, and okay, God, mm. if you want me to spend the rest of my life in prison, okay, mm. I will become, I'll be the Billy Graham of the penal system, man. <laughs> I will on, witness yeah. to everyone that you put in my path. I mm. will, I will transform every environment that you put me in. I will serve you in prison uh, for the rest of my life, God. And if you don't do anything else for me, you've done enough. And and it was it was just about a month later yeah. that the 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 case just broke through and all kinds of charges were dropped and dismissed and and then within within a few more months the district attorney came and said we'll we'll give you a deal man one year in jail and five years of probation and and you walk 
I was like, what? <laughs> so I went wow. from I went from potentially the rest of my life in prison to one year in jail and five years of supervision. And uh, so I signed I signed that deal. And what was crazy about it is I didn't even have to serve the five years. The reason I told you before in the in the interview that three and a half to three and a half years, I went back to the jail. Yeah. Well, I I I was able to get my probation supervision terminated after three and a half years. I didn't even have to do the full five. Awesome. And the the judge that originally signed my my plea bargain, he said, the, the only reason that I'm doing this is because I know I'm going to see you again, Mr. Wolfley. You're going to violate your probation. And when you do, I am going to to sentence you to the, the highest amount of years that I can possibly give you in prison. So see you soon, Mr. Wolfley. And wow. he thought for sure that I was I was going to be in front of him again for a violation and he'd send me to prison. Man. So <clears throat> three and a half years later, I'm in front of him with a whole bunch of letters of recommendation from the church that I was serving in and the Bible college that I was in and and the community and even my probation officer. She my probation officer wrote a recommendation to terminate me because she's she didn't write this down, but she told me, I'm going to write this recommendation to terminate because you're a pain in my rear end. Because I every day I would have to call her to leave the county. I had I had uh, Bible studies that I was doing in <laughs> multiple counties around where I was living. Yes. And every time that I had to travel to these Bible studies uh, or outreaches or whatever, I would have to call and get permission to mm. travel um, because I was under court supervision. And she was sick and tired of hearing from me every day to get permission <laughs> to travel this Bible study and that Bible study. Yes. So she's like, recommend, please terminate this guy, you know? So I'm standing in front of the same judge that had had reluctantly agreed to sentencing me to just a year in jail. And he says, well, Mr. Wolfley, he says, uh, I'm quite surprised to be seeing you under these conditions. I had expected to violate your probation and send you to prison. Would you please share with me how it is that <laughs> you've, you've gotten all of these people to believe that you're a different person? You know, and I said, well, I am a different person. I am person, a different person. Yeah. And I shared the gospel. I shared the gospel in the, in the courtroom. Oh, and, come With on. the judge. Yes. And, uh, and it was, it was so cool. And I, I said, I'm a, I'm a completely different person. I'm a new person. Jesus saved me. And, da, 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 and I shared the whole gospel. And, um, and then what's super cool is this was a, this was a new judge. He'd only been a judge for like a year or two when, when he saw me initially. Fast forward more than 20 years, and he's the same judge that signed the order to seal my records and to, to wipe them. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So more than 20 years later, same wow. judge. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool, huh? That's amazing. Oh, but I got it. You know what? The Lord just laid this on my heart to, yep, share, to share because um, in, in, in issues of breakthrough, mm. okay, um, there are a number of things, a small number of things that, that, tend to be overwhelming obstacles for people to get freedom, to get um, breakthrough that they're looking for. Mm. And one of these things is forgiveness. I found that people who bear uh, the burden of bitterness and unforgiveness, um, that, that binds them in all sorts of other areas where if they release that bitterness, if they let that forgiveness flow, then, then God is able to, you know, they're positioning themselves where God is able to release them and give them breakthrough in many other areas of their lives. And 
what I what I felt led to share with you is I told you that there was a confidential informant, a guy that wore a wire mm. on us for three weeks gathering information. Okay. Yeah. Well, about six years ago, the Lord laid him on my heart. And I I found that he was serving a life sentence in prison for something completely unrelated to what we were involved in. Yeah. And and so I, I called the chaplain. I'm I'm a certified a volunteer chaplain in the the Department of Corrections in this state, and so I called the the chaplain of the institution. I told him my my backstory, and I said, "Listen, I want to, I want to talk to the man who wore the wire on me mm. twenty years ago, and I want to let him know that I want to thank him, basically, um, f- because what he did allowed put me in a place where God could." completely changed the direction of my life. And I, and I want to share the gospel with him. I want to forgive and let him know that I've long since forgiven him and, uh, and share the gospel with him. So the chaplain arranged for me to come in and see the guy who wore a wire on me. And, uh, when he walked into the room, um, he, I, he didn't know what he was walking into. And, uh, and I just, I, I went up to him and I said, Hey man, listen, it's all good. It's better than good. Did he recognize you? Wanted to... Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He recognized me. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> And I, I said, I want to, I want to tell you, man, that it's, it's all good. And I want to thank you. Thank you for doing what you did, because had you not done what you did, mm. my life would be nowhere, nowhere near what it is now. Yeah, I would have been destroyed. And, but because of what you did, I found Jesus Christ in that jail cell and it transformed my life. And, um, and I shared the gospel with him and he got born again Amen. Um, right there in the, right there in the, in the chaplain's office. Six years ago. Yeah. So and, you know, the the crazy thing in in his situation, you know, eternity is is a long time, man. Mm. We're going to be we're going to be in eternity a whole lot longer than this life that we're living in right now. Yeah. And, you know, in, in the case of this confidential informant, I could just see the goodness of God all over him to put him in a place where where even though in this life he's going to be behind steel and plexiglass and razor wire for the rest of this natural life, he's going to be set free mm. forever. Yeah. And, uh, and so the grace of God led him to a place of repentance um, where he wow. could be set free for eternity in the arms of the Lord. Wow. That's, that's unreal really like to be able to or well, track him down and and that you're you're coming to him with uh, that forgiveness, you know. I mean, <laughs> I think forgiveness is, is the biggest way to actually finding Christ as well. Uh, well, at the moment that you find Christ, it's one thing that the devil tries to bring us back out of his arms if possible, is to hold unforgiveness towards people that have wronged us. And to, mm. be, to show that Christ is working in you, through you, allowing you to forgive uh, this, this older person accomplice of yours is and then that the fruit of that is another whole salvation story like i mean when you hear that when i hear that i start to to look through my life going all right who have i not forgiven in my life and am i withholding another salvation story for not going and forgiving them you know like Mm. and sharing like the gospel with them and what god's done in my life you know, it's one thing to be born again and to live your life and sort of forget your old ways and even forget all the people in your old life. It's another whole thing to be born again and go out and with a with an open hand 
with the gospel. This is why I'm changed. This is why I'm not the person that I mm-hmm. used to be. This is how that can I introduce you to the God of love? You know, the God who wants to save you, the God who wants to forgive you. Because, yeah, it's almost like a domino effect, eh? You know, like it just, it's it's absolutely what we're called to do. And we can't actually hold forgiveness, unforgiveness, um, for very long. It starts to muster and, and take shape of something pretty nasty if we keep holding on to it. So I just love how the, that you've been able to do that. And, um, and then the fruit of doing that is so awesome. Well, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. And I had, I had a lot of practice um, by the time I, I got to the confidential informant because mm-hmm. this one of the things that the Lord taught me early on in, in delivering me from the shame and the guilt and the, and the condemnation and the, the wounds and, and stuff in my own past, he had brought me to the point where I, I knew I needed to forgive the people who had harmed me. So if I see by the age of nine years old, Joel, by the age of nine, I had been sexually molested, physically abused, abandoned on the streets, introduced to cigarettes, alcohol, drugs, pornography, and even murder all before I was nine. At the age of 14, I was on the streets of Denver, Colorado alone doing whatever I needed to do to survive a lot of shameful things, man. Mm. And that those wounds from what people had done to me, you know, it's, it's amazing. I, I was, I was recently at a, a men's group and uh, of all believers, seasoned believers who have been Christians for decades, most of the room, I think there was only one person in the room that was younger than me and I'm 52. So these are all mature men. And, um, and I was sharing with them that my biological father had disowned me when I was seven years old. And immediately the first response that some of one of the men came back with was, wow, what did you do? And I said, I was seven years old, dude. What could I have done? And, and then it was like, it dawned on him. Oh yeah. You know, you were, what can a seven year old do to justify a parent disowning them? You know what I mean? So, um, but that's how, that's how our minds think. It's like Mm. immediately we want to, you know, what did, what did you do to cause that? So when a a victim, like me, when I was first sexually abused at eight years of age and, and there were many instances of abuse all the way up until the time of, I was 15. And when, you know, as a, as a victim mentality is like, what did I do to deserve this? I deserve this because, because I did something, you know? Mm. And the, the truth of the matter is, is we live in a broken world and people, people are broken. People who don't know, intimately know Jesus as their Lord and savior and father. If they don't know him, then they're, they're broken, man. They're mm. twisted and they're doing the best that they can with what they've got and oftentimes what they've got is completely twisted too. Mm. And so the people that the people that harmed me as a child, I mean I don't know where they came from. I don't know what what experiences they had. I never walked in their shoes and and what they did was absolutely wrong and unjustified, okay? And as were the things that I ended up doing to perpetrate evil and wickedness on others, you know, what I, there's no excuse. The, the abuse that I suffered is no excuse for me to become an abuser. And, but in the natural, that's exactly what happens in the natural. Okay. Apart from Christ, we, you know, you, you live as a, 
a child of an alcoholic or a drug addict, you know, or mm. you live in an environment that's unhealthy or abusive, whether it's a mentally, physically, verbally, whatever, yeah. um, that abuse outside of Christ tends to become our defining moments. So our, uh, the, our identity is derived from the body of experience and what, what we've been subjected to, what we've learned by experience. And, but Christ, he comes and he says, no, yeah. no, that's, that's not your identity. That's so good. You are not your failure. You are not your sin. You are not what's been done to you. You are not what you've done to others. Mm. You are brand new. All of those things are passed away. Behold, I've made everything new for you. I have established you in a new identity that's rooted and grounded by grace through faith in Jesus. And there's a destiny for you that is not associated with the pain and the trauma and the mistakes and the sin that's been done to you or that you've done to others. That doesn't define you. And so when I when the love of God permeated my heart, when I was able to receive the love of God, and I saw that, that there's no place for shame in his presence. There's no place for guilt in his presence. There's no place for condemnation mm. in the Lord's presence. And there's no place for bitterness. There's no place for unforgiveness. There's no place for judgment. Now, we can say that what was done is wrong, right? Like the abuse that, that I endured as a child, that was wrong, man. It was sin, all right? It's broken. It's messed up. But what I don't want to do is forget it. I don't want to, I don't want to just like say, okay, well, that was then. I'm just going to put that in a closet and shut the door and, and mm. turn my back on it and, and claim the blood of Christ over it. That's not helpful, man. What God wants us to do is, is open the closet doors wide, shine in the light of God's word, shine in the truth that transcends the facts of our experience, shine in the truth of God and expose those bones, those skeletons in the closet for what they are. They're dead. They're mm. powerless. They have no, they have no power to define me. They have no power to limit me. They, the occurrences, the instances, the pain, it was real. It sucked. All right. But that was then. And now, now I have opportunity to shout grace from the mountaintops, yeah. to walk in hope and power and love because God has redeemed me. He's bought me back from all of that nonsense that's yeah. been done to me and that I've done. He's bought me from all of that and yeah. given me a new life mm. to be a light on a hill, to be a testimony. Yeah. To be That's why I started out my testimony. I got a lot of stuff that I could share, but I don't want to share any of it apart from the emphasis All right, that God God is, it's about him. It's about his story. And it's about saying Jesus is the answer. It's about saying mm -hmm. that Jesus, the testimony of Jesus and what Jesus has done in my life and what he's done in so many other lives is a, is a prophetic declaration that anybody and everybody who wants more, who wants to walk in, in wholeness and confidence and joy and meaningful relationship with Jesus, come. He says, whomsoever will, come, come. If you're burdened, if you're heavy laden, come, take my yoke on you. That means strap yourself in with Jesus, man. You strap yourself in with him and you're walking with him in unity, in, in unison, in stride with him. And there's no power in any of those past experiences. What they are, they're turned to, to trophies of grace where they sit on the mantle and you go, wow. It's like you, know, you, you look at these guys who are like 
pro golfers, you know, or pro bowlers or pro gymnastics or pro bodybuilders or whatever. They've got these trophies that that they've got in these cases, you know. Well, that's what our testimonies are trophies, man. Trophies that are made that God has delivered us so that we can put those trophies on a shelf. All right. And mm. point to him and say, look at how good God is. Look at what he's done. Look at his benefits. Look at his goodness. Look at him. Because in looking at him, when people's eyes are drawn to that trophy of grace, they they can grab hold of that prophetic declaration for themselves because Jesus wants to do the same thing in everybody's life, man. The um, Bible has Second Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 17. But let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. So, like, Amen. in other words, just keep God at the center whenever we're bragging about anything. And you said this earlier about bragging in what Christ has done in your life. That's such a good mindset to have as a Christian that we cannot do anything without Christ. And that if there is anything in my life to brag about, it is Him in my life and the things that He's Amen. done through that life. So, yeah, you know, Joel, so good. I don't know this Bible verse, um, but I, I know the verse. I mean, I know what it says, but I don't know where it is. It says we need to comfort others with the same comfort that he's comforted us with. And yeah. that's what that's what a testimony does. God comforts us in a situation so that we can in turn offer hope and comfort to others. And so that's why testimony is so important. That's why I love what you do on this podcast. You're you're just putting putting a platform together where people can brag about Jesus and all He's done, and make declarations to to the hearers about what He wants to do in their lives too. Grab hold of them yeah. and be drawn into His presence where transformation happens. So good. I think that scripture is Second Corinthians chapter one verse four. Who who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Come on, that's so, it. So good. Yeah, just perfect. Um, so looking back, John, uh, how have you? How do you see God's hand in leading you towards faith while in such a challenging environment? So being in prison, being in a place where there's, you know, a lot of bad people around you, how do you, when you're looking back on it now that you've you've walked through it already, how do you essentially see that, all right, God's hand was here, God's hand was here, God's hand was here, and building your faith and bringing you through that? I should be dead mm. and in hell many times over. It's extremely easy for me to see God's preservation and his providence unfolding in, in my life, mm. you know, the, and this doesn't directly answer your question. Cause I could, in answering your question, I'd have to give you more and more stories, <laughs> <laughs> but, but what I, what I want to do is answer in principle because God is good. And we hear that a lot. We say that a lot, but that's something that we need to really meditate on because God is good. Mm. Everything about him is good. Everything that he does is good. The devil is bad. The devil is a liar. He's a thief. He's a murderer. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil is bad. And if something in your life happens that's bad, don't blame God. Mm. God's good. God is good. The devil is bad. If it's bad, it's not from God. And if you love Jesus, if it's bad, that means God's not done yet. 
because he says that he'll work everything together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God is good. I'm going to say it again. I'm reiterating it multiple times because it's so important. It's so simple. Yeah. But it's so important that we understand God is good. Mm. Everything he does is good. Everything that he made is good. Everything about him is good. And the devil's bad. Yeah. All right. And so we need to we need to get angry at the right people. All right. At the right person. We need to get angry at the devil about the bad stuff and about the hurt and about the wounds and about the, the brokenness. All right. We need to be angry at the right place. Mm. Now, when we have when we're struggling with our situation, whatever it might be. It's important to understand that God wants us to walk through that with him. Just like we walk through the valley of death, mm. not fearing evil because God is with us. We don't camp out, make our house in the valley of death. Right? We, we pass through it with the spirit of God, knowing that at the other side of that, there is victory. There is intimacy with God. There is a discovery of purpose and destiny that's beyond what we currently experience, what we know. Mm. And everything in our lives will be used for good, for our good. Even the crappy stuff, what the devil means to destroy us, God will use to promote us. Mm. If our attitudes, if our heart attitude and posture is in the right place. So all of the, all of the stuff you know, you asked your question was how do how do you see the hand of God um, in in your travels in your journey? Mm. Well, sometimes sometimes we're clueless in the moment of of trial and circumstances. We're clueless about God's presence, but in looking back, if we have the right heart posture and we're blaming the right person for the, I mean, when we see what's good that happens is of God mm. and the evil that happens is not of God. And if there's still, if there's still junk that needs to be cleaned out to make it good, God's still working mm. and we, we need to work with him in that situation. So uh, a, a roundabout way of, of answering your question, God has, I, I see now that God has always been with me and mm. I believe that he's always with everybody. That's the, that's the coolest thing about God is he is, he is intimately aware of every single thought. The Bible says that he numbers the hairs on our head. Mm. He bottles every tear. Right? He knows our innermost thoughts, the motives of our heart. He knows. He knows everything about us. And so when we, when we pray, for example, we're not informing God of anything. Mm. He already knows. When we pray, what we're, the posture of our heart needs to be putting ourselves in a posi position where God can transform our heart to be more in tune and in line with him mm. because that's where, that's where healing comes. That's where transformation comes yeah. is in the presence of God. And so we, we take our circumstances to him, whatever those circumstances are. He says, if, if you need comfort, come to me. I love you. I care about you. You know, you can, you can tell me about your worries, about your cares, about your trials. And cause I care about you and I'm, I'm willing to listen and I'm willing to, I'm totally paraphrasing multiple verses here. That's exactly what the heart of God is. Come to me, mm. lay it all out, be transparent and allow me to speak truth into your circumstances. That's so good. That's so good. Um, so how I would love to get into sort of what God's been doing with you now as well. Um, as we sort of come to the end of the uh, the podcast, I've got two questions left for you. 
Um, I'd love to get a background on what you're doing over in Thailand. Um, So the question is, and this sort of ties into probably what you're doing now, how has your faith impacted your plans and aspirations for life beyond prison? How do you envision your future as a Christian? So this is probably from prison to kind of now, I suppose. Yeah. Well, it's been it's been 25 years since I since I got out of jail, and uh, and the Lord has been fathering me. It's amazing. Just like about a year ago, um, after having been in Thailand for four years, a year ago I was just sitting one day with God. And I was like, God, why are you so good to me? Why? Are, I mean, you bless me with so much. You've given me an amazing wife of over 21 years now. You've given me children. You've given me friends, true friends that that are standing in the gap with us. And and you've given me a ministry and you've given me a platform uh, to, to proclaim the good news all over the place. You're, you've given me resources. You're, you're just amazing. Why are you so good to me? And the Lord, the Lord said, I'm able to do this for you now because of decisions that you made 20 years ago. Mm, wow. And <clears throat> see, the, the thing is, seeds, it's like when, when you take a, an acorn and it, you hold it in your hand, you realize, and then you look up at the tree that it came from, okay? Mm. Massive oak tree, right? And you've got this little acorn in your hand. And, and to realize that that entire oak tree, that full-grown, full-blown oak tree is inside that little acorn. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty and nuts. The, the seed. And so when, when God plants a seed in us, mm. it comes with everything that is necessary in order for that seed to grow into God's desire and destiny and design for it, right? Yeah. But the soil is up to us. If you hold that acorn in your hand, all right, it's never it's never going to sprout. It's never going to become that oak tree, mm. right? And that just like the parable of the sower and the seeds, the soil is what we're responsible for. Mm. So when we position our hearts in the proper way and and create a soil for God's seed to be planted, it will grow into extraordinary things. So my journey, I mean, I, dude, I I knew nothing about God. I was evangelizing when I got born again. You know what I mean? I was sharing the scriptures and sharing, you know, the gospel with somebody before I was born again. That's when God hit me. So good. So, you know, people say, when did, when did you become an evangelist? I was like, before I was born again. <laughs> you know? And so the, the, but when I went at it, I went at it with all I got and see, Joel, here, here's something to, that I hope that the listeners can really grab hold of. The gospel is so beautiful because all Jesus wants is all you've got. Mm, that's so good. You don't you don't have to go and fix anything. You don't have to go and find anything. You don't have to go and learn anything. You don't have to perform. You don't have to do anything, man, except give him everything that you've got right now. Mm. That's what he wants is all you've got. Yeah. No matter how ugly and twisted it is, no matter how ignorant it is, no matter no matter how good it might be. All yeah. right. He wants everything that you are, everything mm. that you've got. And when you do that, all right, then man, he takes it. And just like the little boy in John chapter six that gave Jesus his, his lunch, a couple of 
couple of breads, uh, loaves of bread and, and some fish. Yeah. And Jesus says, hey, hang out right here. Watch this. Boom. He lifts it up. He gives God praise. And then he breaks it. And and 5,000 men plus thousands more women and children all ate to their heart's content with basket loads of leftovers <laughs> all from that little boy's lunch. And that's what happens when we give Jesus all we've got. Yeah, He'll do crazy things. And that's what I've watched him do in mm. my life for the last 25 years. And as I just gave him what I had mm. and believe, dude, it was nothing. When I got out of jail, I was, I rode a bicycle through the, through the gates that the chaplain had gotten to me and, and wind in my face, tears streaming down my, my cheeks, not knowing where I was going or how I was going to, how I was going to take care of myself. Nothing, man. Riding through and just going, Jesus, you're amazing. God, you, he was all I had and he was all I needed and he was all I wanted. Wow. And, and I, and I, and it's not to say that it's all been uphill from then, you know, cause I've, I've had times of discouragement, times of challenge, times of failure. I've had many times when I needed to, to appropriate the grace of God, which by the way, grace is, is much more than unmerited favor. Grace is the operational power of God that effects transformation. Mm. So when the grace of God comes on you in your failure, that is the power that we need in order to transform because mm. he affects that transformation. When we receive grace and plant it in the good soil of our heart, yeah. then if, uh, transformation is affected. So over the course of years, you know, God, God allowed me the privilege of, of ministering in on the streets of evangelism and in prisons doing evangelism and, and discipleship and training. And he's delivered me. I have no addictions today, none, zero. I'm completely set free from anything that hinders me from chasing after God with all of my heart. And when he reveals a motive or an insecurity, because that's where he's dealing with me now. Mm. It's not the outward addictions, you know, that he's dealing with now. Those are long since taken care of. It's the inward things, the motives of the heart, the ambition, mm. the insecurities, the the self-reliance, yeah. all these things. So where I am right now, my walk of faith yeah. is to intentionally steward the presence of God mm. in such a way where I recognize where he's going and I want to go where he's going. I don't want to be I don't want to be like, OK, I'm doing this. God bless it. No, I want to I want to be mindful of where he's moving and where he's mm. going and then walk with him and yield with him. And in so doing, I find transformation continuing to occur in my heart and in my life and in my sphere of influence. Mm. Wow, man, that's so good. And that's that's how you become a, an oak tree. Just that's it. Yeah. Be in, be in the right environment where God can nurture you. Um, I love that. That's so cool. Um, so his- you know, the, Joel, the real cool thing too about just to add it. I'm sorry. Right? Yeah, go. <laughs> that that oak tree is dropping thousands of acorns, man. Yeah. All right, and and that's what that's what the the testimony of Jesus does in in a mature person who is who is on fire for the Lord and is and is growing and making disciples, mm. making disciples who make disciples is is casting those seeds. Yeah. Um, when you find good soil, nurturing, nurturing that and mm. fathering that. And it's yeah, it's extraordinary, man. And I can't wait. Yeah. The future. You ask. Oh, you, you asked, uh, you know, where do you see the future going? Yes. Oh, dude. It's yeah. I, <laughs> and where are you now? I suppose. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. And what's God doing with you now? I suppose. Well, right now, we're, I, we would have to do three or four more podcasts in order for me <laughs> to tell you the 
even even the beginning aspect of what God's doing. But in a in a very short nutshell, he's positioned us in a place where we can father people, father and mother people into wholeness. We we love and lead people into wholeness through vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. And and that's happening in in churches and it's happening in homes and it's happening all over the place. Um, and we, we are clarifying the gospel. Um, one of the most exciting things that, that we've done recently is, uh, through my, my evangelism experience with multiple methods of evangelism. Um, and now in a cross-cultural context where there is no Judeo Christian foundation or even Islamic foundation because I mean, Muslims have an Abrahamic tradition. They have a, they have a scriptural basis, you know, they have a Quran, they, they understand uh, a, a God, they're monotheistic, they have a creator God, even though so much to the extent where uh, Muslims think that Christians are polytheists because we believe in the Trinity, you know what I mean? And they, they're like, they can't understand the Trinity. So like, you believe in many gods, there's only one God, you know? So they, they have a foundation, uh, a smaller bridge to gap with the, with the gospel than an atheist would or a Buddhist or a Hindu person would, um, or a humanist. Um, so what we've, what we've discovered is a fantastic tool. Well, discovered we wrote uh, the new life study, which expounds upon the gospel from Genesis one, one to revelation 22, 21. The gospel is threaded throughout the entire mm. Bible from the first word beginning to the last word. Amen. Because Jesus is the beginning and he's the end. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the creator, the sustainer, and the soon coming king. He's the author. He is the finisher of our faith. And he is the faithful one who will complete the work that he began. It's all about Jesus. The gospel is about Jesus. Mm. And so we've explained from creation and corruption and covenant and, and, uh, um, Wow. And here I am. I'm, I'm I'm brain locked on all the on the on the lessons right now. No, but there are so nine good. lessons that we are teaching in multiple arenas yeah. um, to explain and expound upon the gospel in its entirety. That's so cool. Um, is there a way for people to uh, connect with your mission with the new life study that you've? Uh, is that what it's called? New life study. Yeah, new life study. Yeah, it, yeah. we absolutely. You can go to our website which is hope to share.com H O P E T O share.com hope to share.com. Um, and there are resources. It's free to download and uh, it's formatted for, for print. So you can print it on two sides and bind your own book. Um, and so, yeah, we encourage people to do that. And it's, there's a facilitator guide that's included in it. So you don't have to have any kind of special training or anything in order to facilitate a study. If you want to do a group study, um, all that information is there inside the new life study. And the next thing that we're doing is super exciting because we're going to write the kingdom life study. See the new life study. We say this is, this is, uh, going to ruffle the feathers of some people listening. Um, do it, but <laughs> bear, bear with me here. I tell people all roads lead to heaven. Mm. Okay. Because it's a, it's appointed for us to live, die and face judgment. Judgments in heaven. Jesus says, Wide is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Mm. Now I'll ask you, why is the way to eternal life narrow? Most people think 
that it's narrow because you've got to do a whole bunch of stuff, man. It's hard. You got to strip off everything and you got to squeeze through that narrow gate in order to, to gain access to heaven. I propose that the reason that the way is narrow is because there's only one way. There's one way. There's one door. There's one gate. There's one name. Jesus. Mm. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And only by him can you come to the Father. Mm. That's why the way is narrow, because there's one way, and his name is Jesus. And when we when we come to him one day, we need to know him, and he needs to know us. Because God forbid that we get into the system of works, like Matthew 7 talks about, where many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name, mm. uh, prophesy in your name, do all these mighty miracles and works in your name? And Jesus will tell them, depart from me. I never knew you. Yeah. You workers of iniquity, you workers of lawlessness. Mm. So works in and of themselves do not constitute salvation or, or a relationship with God. Yet even so, James says, faith without works is dead. Mm. Okay, so you've got to have you've got to have works, you've got to have faith. Then First Corinthians thirteen says that you could do a whole slew of stuff, but without love, you gain nothing. Yeah, without love. So there. Ultimately, what I'm getting at is we tend to want uh, uh, principles and processes and formulas in order to ensure that we're going the right way or that we're doing the right thing, or that at the end of the day, we're going to be able to stand in front of in front of God. And I propose that the only way that we'll be able to stand in front of God is in, in relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the New Life Study explains the gospel, and it brings people the information that they need in order to make an informed decision as to whether or not they want to walk through that door, that narrow door, that one way, in relationship with Jesus. The Kingdom Life Study is going to expound on what happens when we walk through that door. Now, most new believer curriculums will tell you, okay, now that you're a Christian, you need to get baptized. You need to take communion. You need to go to church. You need to read your Bible. You need to pray. You need to tithe. You need to serve. All those things are good. All those things are biblical. But the challenge is, the danger is that oftentimes people will take that list and think that that list of things to do constitutes right standing with God. And it doesn't. You can do all of those things and and not be in right standing with God. So the kingdom life study is going to not talk about all those things that we need to do. It's going to talk about who we are. Because when we walk through that door, when we're born again, we're planted in Christ. We're given a new identity in Christ. And it opens up wide, wide is the path all right, for those that are in Christ. It's an Isaiah 35 highway of holiness. And it's amazing because God can do and wants to do miraculous, extraordinary, supernatural, mind-boggling things with us in him. So he takes off the he takes the limiters off, man, with God. So I'm gonna write in the Kingdom Life study, we're in the process of we're beginning it right now to write about now who you are in mm. Christ and what that means and help people discover their identity and their gifting and their calling because when we know who we are, when we love Jesus and we know that we're loved by Jesus, all of those works come as a result of relationship. That's so good. That's that's perfect. Yeah. Um, I I would love to make sure that anybody listening and they want to find all of this information, we're going to have all the links in the description below. So make sure you go check all that out. 
Here's my final question for you, John. What advice would you offer others who may be facing similar circumstances that you've shared in your testimony and they're seeking spiritual wisdom or transformation um, while they're incarcerated, while they're in prison? Well, you know, there are a lot of people who are in prison. There's a lot more people in prison that aren't behind steel and plexiglass and razor wire. They're walking around free mm. in our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our churches. And they are they are every bit enslaved and imprisoned as somebody who is so behind true. bars. Yeah. And the what what I say, the best advice that I could give someone is to not focus on your circumstances. Not focus on the problem. Not focus on the things that you need to fix or correct or improve or mm. change. Focus on Jesus. Yeah. Because when we focus on him, he effects those changes. And I I I have an illustration that is kind of difficult to do just verbally, but I'll do my best um, so that hearers can follow along. Imagine a a glass, a drinking glass full of mud. And what religion does is point at that mud and say, oh, you need you are so full of junk, so full of mud. You you need to stop smoking. You need to stop fornicating. You need to stop this, stop this, stop that. All right, fix this. And so we we become mud inspectors, all right? We we become sin inspectors and people focus on the mud. All right. What what God wants us to do is take our glass that's full of mud, put it in the kitchen sink, and turn on the water. And what happens if you take that glass of mud, you put it in the kitchen sink, you turn on the water. If you just put a trickle, all right, you just put a, a little teeny stream, you know, you're just going to get a little mud on the, on the, or a little mm. bit watery on the top, but it's not going to clean anything out. Right. Mm. And a lot of people, they'll, they'll go to church on Sunday morning. All right. And they'll put the water on a little trickle and then they'll turn off the water. They'll go about their business. All right. And, and then it gets crusty on top. Mm. And that's that's a whole bunch of crusty Christians, and they got a whole lot of mud, and and don't have any breakthrough in their lives because mm. they're they're Sunday morning Christians, you know. Worse yet, they're they're Easter Easter and Christmas Christians, you know. And what God wants us to do is not worry about the mud, but worry about His presence, mm. which comes through our interaction with Him, our our prayer, our meditation, the meditations of our heart, being in his word, in his presence, in worship, in fellowship, in community, in everything that God has has directed us as a mm. means of being part of something that he's inspired. Okay? Yeah. When we put ourselves in that position, turn on the water all the way, man, and let it run. Before you know it, that glass is completely full free of mud mm. and it's, and it's overflowing and it's bringing, it's, it's a glass that's overflowing. It's the rivers of living water. It's a wellspring of life that overflows and refreshes other people around you. And you never focused on the mud. You never focused on getting delivered from pornography. Mm. You never focused on getting, you know, delivered from this or that, or, or changing this or that, What you focused on is getting in the presence of God mm. and allowing him, because in the presence of God, all of those other things, those, the brokenness in our life, yeah, they can't be right, there. it loses its, its attraction. It mm. loses its, its power when we're in his presence. That's, That's the best so advice that I can give to somebody. Wow, that's that's really insightful. That's a really good thought. Whoa, <laughs> just like thinking that through um, the whole illustration with the with the 
glass in the mud and that's a really I'm going to use that to explain um, to people as well if they're struggling mm-hmm. with uh, different issues you know pornography and things like that because these are they're pretty big struggles in today's world and um, we feel that we have to um, almost have this this resistance of the flesh but it's not that it's having an a tenfold of the presence of God you just just have that and then you don't even need to worry about it you know Joel um, there is a practical aspect of things that the spirit reveals okay so there there are the end all isn't in um, just completely immersing yourself in the presence of God without further action because mm. the spirit will give us action yes. when we're in his yeah, presence, of course. if that makes yeah. sense. Because yeah. he, he's, he's working, man. And mm. it's not, I don't, I don't want to give the, the picture of somebody that just sits and soaks all day in the presence of God and doesn't take any action. Yeah, Let me give yeah. this as an illustration <laughs> practically. Let's use pornography because I was addicted to pornography. Also, <laughs> I have a, I had a whole laundry list, man, of, <laughs> of addictions, and God's dealt with all of them, you know. Yeah. So, but pornography was one of the most difficult ones. Some of them, God delivered me from immediately and quickly. Others, like pornography, took probably fifteen years to be completely delivered from, and uh, because we have neural paths, okay, our mind, mm. our our thoughts, our patterns, our way of thinking, and our our patterned responses are conditioned, right? yeah. are practiced and conditioned through repetitive action, repetitive thought, repetitive motion. Okay. So when picture this as you're, if you're in a forest, okay. And you're on a trail and our thoughts will take the path of least resistance. They'll take the trail that's well-trodden. Mm. Okay. That's why if somebody who's always a pessimist, you know, they've practiced and trained themselves to be a pessimist. And now when the, when the spirit of God convicts them about being, you know, less pessimistic and more optimistic and hopeful, you know, they go, oh, okay, I don't want to go down that road of pessimism anymore, but I got to, and it's the same for pornography. It's the same for every addiction. When mm. we're, when we're tempted, when we, when we're, we recognize by the spirit of God that we're going down that well-worn path that mm. leads to where we don't want to be, right? We stop. And we look in the other direction mm. and it's forest, man. It's a, it's an untrodden path. There's no path there, mm. but God is calling you to go that direction. And it's difficult the first few times, but you traipse through it, man. And, and you, you make a new path. And in so doing, you know, that the sawgrass is cutting up your, your ankles, you know, and the branches are slapping you in the face, you know, and the spider webs and bugs, you know, are all over you, but you, you get through to the other end and you find mm. victory in the presence of Jesus. Right. Mm. And then the next time you have that same encounter, that same decision, the yeah. same opportunity, you can see where you had traveled, right? Mm. The well-worn path is still often in one direction, but that you can see where you where you met the presence of God, where you met success, you mm. you overcame going through that. And you can see where your path had, had taken you and you do it again. And then you choose to do it again. And over time, all right, that becomes the new path, becomes the the best path, the most mm. well-trodden path, the default path. Yeah. And the old way of, of thinking and doing and, mm. and behaving, it becomes overgrown from lack of use. Mm. And so now we can, we can roll. That's, that's part of the, the process of sanctifying our soul mm. because we're, we're made up of body, soul, and spirit. Mm. God redeemed our spirit. All right? He made us alive in Christ, given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Jesus, we're seated in heavenly realms with Jesus right now. Heaven is a real place, and we're there with him right now in the spirit. 
But now in the flesh here on earth, we've got a body that's still dying, still broken, still decaying, right? Wearing out. It's nothing but a machine. The body is nothing but a bio organism. It needs, it needs fuel. Mm. It needs, it needs rest and it needs repairs sometimes, you know, and it's going to break down and wear out and we're going to get a new <laughs> one that's incorruptible in heaven. Right. Yeah. So the battle is in the soul. The mm. soul is our, our will, our mind, our emotions. That's where mm. the battleground is. And as we lean into the spirit and not into the flesh, mm. the battle in the soul is empowered by the spirit of God. And yeah. so when we, that's where, when we focus not on what we've got to fix, we focus on the spirit, the spirit gives us actions and the power to overcome. Because mm. like I said before, grace is the operational power of God that affects transformation. Mm. So when we're in that moment in our soul, in our mind, okay, the battlefield is there. That's where the addictions are. That's where the pattern of thinking is. That's where the, all the stuff that God wants to sanctify us from. That's mm. where the battle is. Yeah. We lean into the spirit. The spirit convicts with empowerment, mm. with empowering grace to effect transformation in our souls. So and, but it doesn't come from us just focusing on, oh, this is my problem. What do I got to do to fix this? I'm going to grit my teeth, dig, you know, mm. pull up my boots, you know, and, and, and charge forward. No, we got to, we can only overcome with the help of the spirit, with the mm. wisdom of the spirit, with the timing of the spirit. Um, that's, that's where we get overcoming from. That's why I say we got to, we got to totally immerse ourselves. It's a mm. full immersion experience. This walk of salvation and sanctification is a full immersion experience. Mm. It's not a, it's not an add Jesus to your life and, and pull him off the shelf when, when you need something, he's not yeah. a vending machine. Yeah. <laughs> you know? He is, he is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings Amen. and a great yeah. father that wants all of you. So and when, good. He, when we give him all of us, he transforms us and, and we run with him with renewed strength and power and confidence and love. So good. So good. Oh, wow. John, that was uh, such a powerful testimony. And I just want to say thank you so much for joining us on the Jesus Magnet podcast. I don't, I've run out of questions now, so I think we'll just leave it at that. That was such a wrap. And I just want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. Did you have any final words to say for our listeners before we sign off for the outro? You know what? I would love to pray for everybody listening. Can I do that? Let's go. Yep. Right on. Jesus, we exalt you, we magnify you, we declare that you are the name above all names and the only hope for the nations, Lord, and mm. for each individual listening. And we pray that your spirit of grace would empower the listener for every heart that's resonated with the hope and the transformation, Lord, that can be found in you for every heart there. I pray that you would, would baptize them even now in your presence, mm. Lord, with the empowering grace that they need to overcome and transform the situation that they're in so that they can realize the fullness of what you desire for them in walking in intimacy and wholeness and meaningful relationship with you, God. Give them the grace that they need and the power to walk in that in Jesus' name for your glory and for the advancement of your kingdom and for the all the trophies of grace. Lord, they're going to be built by your grace effected in the lives of your children that are listening to this podcast right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Jesus Magnet Podcast. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you connect with us. Find us on Facebook, on Instagram. And if you want to support us, be a member of our coffee club, Jesus Magnet Coffee Club. See you next time on the Jesus Magnet.